1: Uh, tonight, after I I was away out of town for the weekend, so I just had to rush all this kind of business. And uh, as you know, the name of the series is Poline, Poles and Jews in 2018, trying to be friends, but prevented by different versions of a common history. And tonight is the fifth lecture, entitled Poles and Jews in the Holocaust and after, Poles and others in the Holocaust and after. I won't be able to get around to all of it, but uh, I have a big chutzpah Speaking about this because Zev's parents, especially Mr. Radom, was in the war, so I get him. He's sitting over there, so uh, he's going to tell me what I say is right or wrong. But there's a difference between memory. I'm serious, though. I'm not being funny. It's serious. The difference between memory and history. I'm going to try to do it from a history uh, perspective. But if you want to know what it's like it was like, to, was actually there. We uh, have someone in the audience. When I was a kid years ago, the whole audience was full of such people. True, and that's not the case anymore in 2018. You have to have been a young child, because it's been over 75 years since the Warsaw Ghetto. Think about that, okay? I'm 43. So I anyway, know we have a couple other people here. Obviously, who you know it. So as you see, tonight's uh, talk is being sponsored by Zeb Raiden. Look at that uh, nice inscription. In honor my wonderful parents. I also escaped the Warsaw Ghetto and even survived the invasion of Hungary. Zayecher to be many years of healthy happiness. Amen. Okay. And if you want more information, get the where, when, and when because we had a whole big article about them. Um, I'm sure everybody saw it in the last issue. So, uh, how do we tackle this? Poles and Jews in the Holocaust, and after—it's a giant subject, once they sat down. And even if I have five or six hours, as I usually do, to scratch the surface, it won't be enough, so I'm gonna break it as I see it. What I'm interested, of course, is not the subject of the Holocaust, per se, because that's a whole separate parsha by itself. And we actually have someone who's an expert here in that, Professor Shapiro. But I'm interested, uh, tonight at least, in the context of this talk and how the Poles acted in the Holocaust and things of that nature. And let's get some basic facts because I don't think they're usually out there. Uh, so I'll jump right into it. Hitler had two groups that he wanted to kill. <laughs> let's, let's be very blunt about this. Two groups. Number one, the Jews. It's not what you think. Number one, the Jews. Number two, the Slavs. Right? I think, uh, let's get that in there. That's cause of the geography. Uh, he wanted to kill the Jews because the Jews are inherently evil, obviously. He wanted to kill the Slavs because the Slavs are in the way. They're living in all the land that Germany would like, take over. OK? They, they, they're like, the Indians to the white man. Hitler would tell the Americans, what are you making fun of me for? You did it to the Indians? Let me put it this way. What's the name of the rivers here? The Susquehanna, you know? <laughs> right? All these different Indian names. What happened to the people over there? Gone. So they're in the way. In fact, Hitler often compared two cases. Basically, he wanted um, the enforcement of the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk. If you perhaps remember last time, when World War I ended, I say again, when World War ended, the Germans won in the Eastern Front. Uh, and then things fell apart, but the Germans won in the Eastern Front. It's not like World War II. In World War I, the Germans won. And this is what they forced Russia to, to cede to them. All this, so here's Germany, here's the Kingdom of Poland we've been talking about. The Ukraine, Belarus, Poland, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, that ganze business was given by the Treaty of Brisk, if you're Yeshivish. And, uh, uh, and then, as Hitler would see it, they stole it from us. Because that was really done in the beginning of 1918 when the Germans were winning, and by the end of 1918, the Germans had lost and they had to give everything up. So we want it back. Uh, this is basic thesis, and he wants living room, Lebensraum, as they call it. And that'll be German utopia. So, what's the utopia? You get rid of all the people listen to what I'm talking about get rid of all the people immediately or not immediately who live here and move Germans in. And then Germany won't be just this little country. Germany will be this big business. And one day it'll even be bigger. And that way Germany will be able to handle itself against those other two monster nations, the USA and Russia. Otherwise Germany's too small. That's the idea. All right, the Germans don't have enough people. They'll pay you money to have ten children and things like this. And he did. So it's that kind of approach. Now, um, what about the tens of millions of people already living there? Tough luck on them. They got to go. It's a Darwinian world, my friends. Hitler was a big believer, as I say before, the law of the jungle, survival of fittest, extinction of the weak. He couldn't stand Christianity. He started having a Jewish basis, because in Christianity and in Judaism, they, they favor the weak. Right? You're strong, you could hurt the other person, but you don't. And that doesn't make sense. No, he said, look at, the, look at the animal world. Look at the fish world. That doesn't make any sense. The big animal, he's still a little animal. As they get this, you know? Right? It doesn't make any sense the other way around. So that was his basic idea. He wrote this all the, up in the book Mein Kampf, which he wrote 10 years before he came to power. It's all there in writing, you know? right? And uh, when he came to power, he obfuscated. He said, I didn't really mean it all that. But in reality, it was plain to everybody that he was committed to his vision. So he's going to make Germany strong enough, and then I'm going to take on then to get rid of the Jews, at least in Germany and Europe and get rid of Slavs, and move the Germans in, and give it 20, 30, 40 years, or whatever, and the Germans will build up a huge population, and then it'll be the Chinese, and then the Germans, and then the Russians, something like that. Um, the unfortunate uh, genius of Hitler, I'm sorry to say, uh, in my opinion, lay in the fact that Hitler was inflexible in the pursuit of his goals, but very flexible tactically. That's a dangerous person, right? smart individual. You follow your dream, but if it's necessary to move to the right, move to the left, move backwards, you know, change your mind, take a little while, take off, as long as you keep your mind focused. So, you know, when Hitler came into office, he didn't say, let's kill all the Jews today. There's tomorrow, there's a the day after tomorrow, and anyway, meanwhile, let's get him out of Europe. And one day, me or my successors will take care of him over there, you know, dun, dun, that's why I'm sure you know, we might have people in this audience that are German Jews or parents of German Jews, they go get out. If America will let them in, you know, they could get out. It's not like you see some of these movies, you know, Germans won't let you out, they'll get you out. Uh, I'll get you to, actually, I forget how it says in German, but if we don't get you today, we'll get you tomorrow. I used to tell it to my mother. So anyway, during 1935 to 39, this is Hitler came into power in 33, I think. Most people know that. And um, World War II started in 39, so that's what, uh, six years? So from 1935, six, seven, eight, and nine, he pulled off a bunch of successful gambles, all right? Um, that's what happened. It's the fault of the British, the French. It doesn't matter. But he pulled off these successful gambles. He introduced conscription in 1935. He marched and took over the Rhineland in 1936, so he wasn't supposed to. He took over Austria in 1938, wasn't supposed to. He took over the Sudetenland at the end of 1938 with the Munich Pact as he wasn't supposed to. He took over the rest of Czechoslovakia in March of 1939. He wasn't supposed to. He took over Memel, which was a port in Lithuania, it, a who it belongs to, in April or something, 1939. All these things are illegal, he got away with it. So the result is he suffered from the gambling disease. You follow? As That's dangerous. you know, Very few people can win two or three rounds and walk away from the casino. That's an unusual individual, correct? So uh, he couldn't do it. So he said, let's try one more time. Um, what was next? After he did all those successes, the answer was, "Thank you for telling me says He He says, yeah. he says, yeah. I can. He says uh, rhetoric is alive and well they, uh anyway, but it was specifically you know yes and no, uh, it's because of the screwball map. Let's go to the next one. Uh, yeah, they hat in Poland. Do we have the picture here? Okay. Uh, it, it, when the First World War ended, I, mean, I talked about last time, so Poland didn't have any exact borders, so they fought here, they fought there, and they ended up with these messy borders. If you perhaps you remember, they had what they called the Polish Corridor, which means they broke a piece of Germany in half and Poland went right through it, where uh, Danzig and Dnieper, were. And that means if you're German, you're driving, driving Germany, and all of a sudden it's not Germany anymore than you are again. So It's like a bone in the throat of the Germans, and we went back. It's Hitler who took over this and took over that. He said, now it's time to fix this. Okay, And each time, as we all know, he used to say in the 30s, this is my last demand. But by this time, he lost his credibility because he said, it's my last demand, it's my last demand, we kept asking him more. And so that's what led to World War, World War II, specifically. Because uh, he tried real hard, as you see over here, to pressure the foreign minister of Poland, saying, if you just give me the land, I'll make it worthwhile for you. Germany will be good to Poland, this and that and the other, All oh, which is a lie, of course and the Polish guy, Beck, wouldn't give in uh, constantly. And see, if you're Hitler, so l- l- let's put it this way. You want to go, as I told you before, and conquer the East, and eventually take over all the Slavic areas, and eventually, eventually kill them all, and eventually, eventually settle the Germans there. But first first things first, so how do you get there? So you got Germany, next door is Poland, and then comes Russia. So w- w- how does that work? So first, Hitler used to go to Poland and say, join me in a war against Stalin. And we'll make it worth your while. You keep the Ukraine or something like that. Poland said, no. OK, fine. So then Hitler went to Stalin. He said, "Join me in a war against Poland? Stalin said, yes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. That's basically sure. And we call this the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. Maybe you've heard of it. In which Hitler and Stalin, who used to uh, curse each other, and uh, you know, according to the, uh, according to, uh, the communists, uh, Hitler's the worst, and according to Nazi, Stalin's the worst. All of a sudden, they cut a deal because practical is practical. And uh, they agreed to divide Poland. Like this is Poland in the 1920s and 30s. Here's the line: this side goes to Hitler. This side goes to Stalin. Western Poland, as you see over here, you know Warsaw and so forth, Krakow goes to uh, Hitler. Eastern Poland, including Vilna and Lvov and places like that, Eastern Galicia goes to Stalin. It's literally like Catherine the Great and Maria Theresa back in the 1700s. You get it? Absolutely uh, cynical. Uh, and Hitler and Stalin became best friends as a result of this. Meaning, let's go to the next one. You know, uh, they signed the treaty in the uh, Kremlin, and Stalin was smiling. And like I said, yesterday, Hitler and the fascists were the terrible thing. How many young Jews joined the communism in the 30s? Because the communists are the only ones reliable against Hitler. Get it? All your cousins. <laughs> with that, right? and I'm serious. If you're a young, idealistic Jewish college guy in City College, New York, someplace like that, you say, the U.S. is not uh, uh, opposing Hitler. The British are not opposing Hitler. The only one you can trust is the USSR, and therefore, got to be a communist. And a lot of these guys, like a heart attack. I'm serious. In September 1939, because of what happened. And a lot of them broke away from the communist party as a result of that. But those who had a Muna Pashuta stayed. And uh, it's a famous episode. Anyhow, um, it got so close, the next thing you know, the Russian foreign minister is visiting uh, Berlin and having a grand old time. Here's, this is Nazi Germany in 1940. And here's Molotov, you know, Stalin's foreign minister. So again, it's the leading communist being welcomed into Berlin for the purpose of pure and cynical opportunism. Here's Himmler and all the the big shots. And Molotov is getting the red carpet treatment because right now we're all friends. Now, we all know what kind of friends that is, but you know something? That's how European politics always is. You're friends until it no longer pays. To be a friend—that's how it goes. It's just a question: who will be faithful to whom, and who will cheat whom when? Okay. So, i got a grand business, and all the rest of it, as, as you can see. Um, now, this is really a case, and let's go to the next one of a breath—a breathtaking cynicism. It's a famous cartoon by a British paper. Read re what it says: "Scum of the earth, I believe. Yeah, bloody assassin of the workers, I believe. You know. Now they're, and they're standing on the dead Poland, aren't they? You see." So uh, now, what happened? Hitler, by making this deal, assures himself that when he attacks Poland, the Poles will not be held by Russia. Hope I didn't lose you. On the other hand, Poland had been given a guarantee by England and France. That's interesting. Why would England and France, I'm talking about Neville Chamberlain, give a guarantee to Poland? The Poles didn't even ask for it. They gave it unilaterally. Okay. So that's very, very interesting. Why would they do that? Let's go to the next one. After Munich conference, Chamberlain realizes that Hitler's been fooling them. Now, maybe he should have realized it earlier and so on and so forth, but it's interesting. And by the time you get to the early middle of 1939, I'll tell you very specifically. At the Munich pact, they said, we'll leave Czechoslovakia. Don't just give us the Sudetenland, the German parts. But then he took the rest in March of 39. But you promised. So I see from over here, you're a liar. Once I see he's a liar, so then what's going to stop the next thing? Okay, and obviously Poland will be the next thing, and so the only way to stop Hitler is to say, "Listen, you fooled us once, you fooled us twice, but not another time. Next time you do something, it's going to be a war." Right? Now Hitler didn't believe that they meant it, but that's what they said. In attacking Poland now, because I mean, He didn't believe what they said because they did fight and attack Poland, right? Even though they had a promise of help from England and France. I'll repeat my friends, that is how World War II started, over the Polish Corridor and the Anglo-French guarantee to Poland in case there is aggression against Poland from Germany. That is what happened. Now, um, in attacking Poland, Hitler took a gamble. He figured number one, the Allies won't uh, honor their commitments, they won't go to war because they're chicken. And indeed, if you know all the inside nitty-gritty, England almost didn't go to war, That'd take too long to go into. And number two, even if they do go to war, I'm sure I can fight them to a standstill, so all will be well for Germany in the end. Those are not strong enough to defeat us. uh, I don't have a two-front war, because I have Stalin and my friend over here. So on a one-to-one basis, if there's one front, we can either beat them or hold them back. And they don't have the stomach for a long-term war. They don't have dictatorships, they have democracy. Democracy don't have a stomach for a long-term war usually. The public doesn't like it. And all oh, we'll will be well in the end. By the time it's over, it will come to some kind of deal, and I'll end up with the Poland part anyway. If I don't get all of it, I'll get part of it. That was the Cheshwin, how he went to war. And that's why on September 2nd, 1939, he declared war in Poland, or at least he said the Poles attacked me and invaded them. The next day or two, two days later, England and France declared war on him. And he was like, what? In the Second World War was on. And to his slowly increasing horror, Hitler will realize he got himself into an unwinnable situation. Because little by little, as the, it's a very fascinating human story. As 1939 and 1940, everything unfolds, you start to see it's not going to end. Not when Churchill became the prime minister in May of 1940 of England. It's not really going to end. might, but it's, it doesn't look good. So his calculations. We're wrong. Of course, he considered himself a total genius, knows everything all the time, so he's never wrong, but was wrong. Now, um, I mean, what I, what I mean by this is, sooner or later, England, France, and, and Russia are going to team up against him. And then, where's it going? He never, you know, one co- I, mean, I don't care how powerful Germany is, and they are. They're very good soldiers. You can't take on the Welt. No, I'm serious. Once America and Russia got in it, especially America, what was the plan? You know, how exactly is the German army go to Kamala? Con- 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 what what is the plan? <laughs> you see, the plan was to hope for for for, for uh, truce. You're not going to with Roosevelt, Churchill, and Stalin. You're going to have a truce. Then he's in Gehakta Now, Stalin uh, snuckered Hitler because he was a lot smarter. And what happened was they said, "We'll divide Poland, and you take your half. I'll take my half. You go first. You hear this? And so Hitler went in September 2, 1939, and fought and took over just about half of Poland. It was bombing Warsaw. More than two weeks later, September two weeks later, September 17th, Stalin just moved his army in without declaring war or anything and actually saying, I'm just coming to help the Ukrainians. I'm just coming to help the Belarusians. No, no, no. It's not a war. saint so England and France never declared war on him. You get it? Hitler got himself a situation where they declared war on him. Stalin maneuvered himself in such a situation where nobody declared war in Russia, which was very helpful to them later on, agreed? So he wasn't, you know, he thought he's smart, he thought he's smart. And each one was sticking, it's very interesting how that worked, okay? Um, now, all this was disastrous for the Poles and for the Jews. This had a Holocaust start, you know, when the Germans went into Poland. Even in their half, the whole Poland was 3.3 million Jews, even the German half, I imagine, was a million half, two million Jews, whatever. That's a huge number. It's terrible. Now, Hitler had never really worked out an exact policy on the Jews. It's not like he came into office in 1933 and said, here's where we're going to go. Like I told you before, he had a general idea, and he never gave up that general idea. But he had no specific plans of it, which means you operate ad hoc. And if you're good, you know, some people play chess where the whole thing worked out and some people just very good working ad hoc. The way his mind worked in 1930s, he wanted the Jews out of Germany. And if he gets the Jews out of Germany, he'll be considered one of the greatest people that ever lived. And by 1939, he had gotten most of the Jews out of Germany. The old ones were dying, the young ones, whoever could, left. Whoever, you know, A lot went to Palestine, a lot went to America. Like I said before, I'm sure there are people in this audience whose grandparents or something like that are German Jews who came to this country in the 30s, legally. legally. So uh, he made considerable progress. He caused, there were 600,000 Jews in Germany when Hitler came to power. I think by 1939, probably 200,000, something like that. So you could say, look, I'm making, you know, uh, big progress. Um, but then things got complicated because in 1938, he picked up Austria and Czechoslovakia. So that adds another 200, 300,000 so I mean, know, Jews. You, you set the clock back, got to start all over again. Right? Here, everything was going great. It's the Jews' fault, of course. right? It's not his fault. It's the Jews' fault for being there. But this is how he looks at it. Uh, and now it gets even worse because in September 39, he takes over here for Poland. Instead of 200,000, and now 400,000, you have a couple million. What are we going to do with all that? Now, I want to tell you something. If somebody in September 39 or October would have said, you know, give me all the Jews in Poland and all of your things, you know, I'll take them all, I would have done it. Okay, get them out of there. Needs <laughs> used to talk about the Madagascar, you know what I if, if But you and I know nobody wanted the Jews. This is the great uh, tragedy of the 1930s, isn't it? Nobody wanted them. Right? Even Palestine went taken most. And so what do you do? You're stuck. This is the great tragedy of the Holocaust. Now, um, as you can see, as I said before, let's go to the next one. There are lots of Jews in the German half of Poland. There are lots of Jews in the other half, but lots of Jews in the German half of Poland. And so what are we going to do? The number of Jews is too many. The Hitlerian logic was slowly but surely moving to the final conclusion, of course, which would be mass murder. Because what are you going to do with them? You get it? Like I said before, if somebody would take them in, go. If Stalin would take them in, move them to Siberia, gives them to eight. There actually was a little bit of talk of that, but Stalin said no, thank you. And so what's happening? If there's nowhere for them to go and there's nothing to do, he didn't say it overnight. But you know, you could anybody who, you know was thinking this through in Hitlerian terms, in National Socialist terms, you gotta say the well, the only thing to do is just you know get rid of them. That's it. Okay. Uh, here we encounter a theme of tonight. It's a very dangerous one. And that's what I call the evil beauty of um, extermination. Because if you kill them all, it taka works. You understand? If you kill everybody especially and nobody can come back and complain, it taka works. Like I said, not exactly I'm comparing cases, but there are no Susquehanna Indians left anymore and nobody sheds a tear over that because they're all gone see? Or the, uh, all the other names that you have out there. Right? What am I, the Patapsco. Right? These are all Indian uh, names, Indian tribes. From day one, now pay close attention to this, Hitler also intends to wipe out the Poles. Not today, not tomorrow, but it's coming. The, in fact, the German army, the Wehrmacht, it does all kinds of atrocities against the Poles. I didn't bring in the book Bloodlands from Timothy Snyder. He's got one case you know the Polish soldiers surrender. The Germans say, "Take off your clothes. Oh, now you're not in uniform. Shoot him." Or other town, or they think somebody burped at them. They, you know, 500 people got killed here, thousand people get killed over there. They see a, a Polish military hospital with a big red cross on it. They burn it down with everybody. And I mean, a lot of random, crazy violence against them. You see, Hitler liked cruelty. That's one of the things that was interesting about him, and his soldiers adopted the attitude. He said, "You know, I want you to steal yourselves and act cruel. He enjoins a deliberate policy, a deliberate policy of casual violence against the Poles. You feel like shooting people? Go ahead. This was the policy of the German army. Now, by the way, I didn't say the Gestapo, the SS, and the Regular soldiers. Okay? is a policy of establishing a total domination with the Poles having less than zero rights. You looked at me the wrong way. I think you looked at me the right way. I don't even need an excuse. (laughs) You get it? I can kill, I can rape, I can destroy this, that, and the other. And there'll be nobody to tell me I did anything wrong. And if anybody does, I kill them too. And it's okay with the top guys. And so we go to a town and we feel like killing everybody we do. We feel like killing 25% we do that. We don't feel like we do that. It's this dropping delivery of all rules that no one had actually encountered before. Now, the difference between how they'll treat the Poles versus how the Germans will treat the Jews, the difference boils down to one essential feature. The Jews, as we know, will soon come under a government policy of total extermination. That's the Holocaust. Every last Jew is to be killed. The Poles were not subject to such a policy, but I'm going to explain why. So in other words, each one suffered this random violence. And you have places where they burned it down, uh, a building down with a bunch of Polacks in it, and other places where they burned a the building down with a bunch of Jews in it. And like I said before, they are going to the hospital and destroy everything, the Polish or uh, Jewish. But as you and I know, the way events unfolded in 1940, 41, 42, and 43, the German government moved to a deliberate and formal policy, which they announced to the bureaucracy. They didn't announce it to the public. They were out to kill every single Jew, period, end of story. That's the policy, little children, they're gone. They were maybe going to head, they were eventually going to head that way with the poll, but they never, it never happened. So a lot of poles got killed here and there and the other, but not as part of what I just described. Let me amplify. Hitler was in principle planning one day to do the same thing to the poles, but it turned out that killing millions of people is not so simple as you imagine. I mean, it's physically not so simple. Now you say, what's the problem? You just shoot everybody. It, it's not so simple. It would take the Germans a couple of years until they basically wiped out uh, Polish Jewry, until 1943. And that's when you had a passive population that they just get on the trains and move in there. I'm just telling the physical logistics of moving people to the place where they die, takes time, it turns out. Nobody knew this, because nobody had tried this before. Okay, But this is, as we all know, look, it's the nine days, so I can speak about this frankly. You know, this is the worst thing that happened in Jewish history. Uh, so it would take a couple years for the Germans to do it. And even after they finished, by 1943, there were a few survivors around. And that was the stupid, helpless, rootless Jews. To kill about 25 million Poles, not 3 million Jews, uh, it would be a technological and logistical challenge. Do you see what I'm saying? take like a long and big operation. Hitler was confident that German genius could solve the problem. But you need time and space and effort, and that never happened. Unfortunately, the clock never ran out fast enough. The word did not end fast enough for the to, to help the Jews, certainly the Polish Jews, as unfortunately we know. But it did run out, and he didn't have a chance to do it to the Polish non-Jews, to the Poles. Uh, this is where chronology becomes important. So I hope you'll keep in line with what I'm gonna relate to you now. Hitler conquered Western Poland in 39, September 39. For the next year, from 39 to 40, he fought and defeated the French and he preserved his alliance with the Russians. It's all during 1940, him and Stalin buddies. In other words, he had a free hand in Poland. Agreed? Nobody's interfering. By late 1940, Hitler decided to invade Russia in 41. Takes time. His officials, the guys under him and the different government departments were bureaucratically moving slowly but surely towards a formal explicit policy of mass murder of all the Jews. Because if you wanna run a good organization, you know what's the first thing you gotta do? You've got to define your goals, isn't that right? Be very clear about it. Mission statement as we call it today. So let's not shoot the bull What's this all about? Our goal is to kill all the Jews. By 41, the Germans made plans to invade the Soviet Union. And when they did, in June, they sent shooting squads to kill all the Jews that they were encountering. Now, I don't want to get you confused. Let's go back for a second. I'm not talking about the people here because they were already conquered by Hitler. When he invaded Russia, it means he attacked here and went all the way this way. Okay, again. The German army attacked here and took over all this and beyond, you see? So as far as the people in the new territories that I just described, Hitler says, the way we're going to deal with that is just shoot them. So he sent a lot of shooting squads with the army and uh, kill everybody you encounter. And they did in six months, June to December of 41, the Germans shot. The Germans and their buddies because they found the local people uh, more than willing to help them, uh, which is a story by itself, not the Poles, but the others. They killed one and a half million Jews. They shot one and a half million Jews. So if there's altogether six million or really five and a half million Jews in the Holocaust, so one and a half million is just from shot, you know, from bullets. They call it the, now the technical term is the Holocaust of bullets. And they go to tell, they go to punish, they round everybody up and take them out of town and dig a hole and shoot them and, and cover it up and go fight there. That's what, that's what it is. Uh, but I haven't discussed what they're going to do with the Jews over here, you see, in the parts that weren't in the front. They didn't send shooting squads here. That was to go forward into the new areas of the Soviet territory, which basically amount to half of the old kingdom of Poland. So this is where we get the big numbers of the millions and all you know, the, the, the terrible stories. Uh, Now, by the end of this period, which would be the end of 41, I'll repeat what I said. They invade Russia in June of 41, and in six months, by the end of 41, they shot one and a half million Jews and and so-and-so many non-Jews, and there you had it. By the end of this period, a number of perfect storm factors come together to lead to a full-scale government project to carry out the industrial extermination and specially constructed extermination camps in Poland. And that will apply for these guys. Go back, what? Go back. That'll apply for these guys, you see? Now go to the next one. This is the area the Germans will conquer from Soviet Union. They'll get this far, which is pretty far. That's basically equal what I've been talking about this whole uh, uh, lecture series. It's the old kingdom of Poland, isn't it? You see? It's the Ukraine, it's Belarus, it's Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia. And, you know, that, 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 a ton of Jews lived there, okay? A ton of Jews. Um, this is the, in other words, what I'm pointing to right now is where they had the shooting squads, okay? Uh, Babiar. I mean, you, you've heard of these things, Even that's a little bit later. Um, so this is how it worked. Um, by the end of the period, as I said before, uh, it would not be hard to kill the Polish Jews located in Poland back in lines if you set up these industrial situations in which you can commit mass murder on an industrial basis, they eventually came up you know, with the gas chamber that's in order to do that. Uh, now, one fact is that by this time, if you get to, this is really Pearl Harbor time. I'm telling you what's happening in Europe when the JAS bombed Pearl Harbor and we went to war with the Japanese and then Hitler declared war in America. While all that was going on, they were finishing up shooting up to one and a half million people, and they're already moving to stage two. Okay? Stage two is interesting. By this time, they're already bloodied by the deliberate extermination of men, women, and children by shooting squads. In other words, there's no turning back. They've already done the deed and gone in and committed these unbelievable murders, so you can't say, like, you're not sure which way it's going to go. You've already started to do it. So once you do it, you want to do for all the Jews. But you're not going to send the shooting squads back in, in the rear. Secondly, two seminal events of december 41 like i say right at the time i'm talking about had a big effect on hitler's thinking number 1 the defeat of the Russian, of the german army at the gates of moscow this was a big surprise when hitler launched the war in june late june they got all the way to moscow but then of course the winter kicked in but it's not what you think cuz they could once the the Ice settled on the mud, you can not fight. Uh, the winter kicked in and nobody knew Stalin had a special reserve army just, just for such an occasion that he kept in the Pacific. And just, yes, right, and this is why, not to get too far off topic, this is why Stalin organized a war between America and Japan, okay? He got Russian spies to influence the Roosevelt administration to tick off Japan it's about Pearl Harbor and then Americans should get over there and then they won't attack Russia. And it worked like a charm. They call this Operation Snow. Anyhow, that meant that he had an extra army, a big one too, 40 divisions, and what just went to the Gates of Moscow, woo, to get hit with a counterattack, December 7th. Same day as Pearl Harbor. And so let's put it this way, it was clear to Hitler they're not gonna win the war in 41 the way he hoped. That's a problem, my friends, for him because it was a gamble, he, the guy was a gambler. He figured, I can take out Russia in six months or or less. And if we win, then everybody will see how smart I was. But, and it came close, but no cigar. And so where's it going to go now? This made Hitler realize it's going to be a long war. It's not going to be easy to beat the Russians. In his mind, now, you can't make fun of what he thought because what he thought affected millions of people. It's weird. In his mind, the Soviets are Jewish. Okay? He conflates communism with Judaism. I'm serious about this. and therefore his hatred for the Jews reached the point of carrying out do we have the video here of carrying out total um, total extermination. He sees the Russian army over here. here's Moscow getting ready for the defense, okay the Germans are at the gates. I mean really they were right up there a few miles away. You could see the Kremlin from the German binoculars. Uh, here's the uh, uh, secret forces that nobody knew about—Stalin's uh, uh, extra army. Okay, who were equipped for fighting in the, in the snow, and they hit the Germans right in the nose. And that, combined with the winter, uh, meant the Germans had to retreat. In fact, the, the Russians came close in December '41 to wiping out entire, to doing a Stalingrad. It didn't happen, but they came close. They almost destroyed the fourth, German Fourth Army. So notice Hitler had a big crisis on the Eastern Front. And all of a sudden, his godless about quick wars and blitzkriegs kind of went away, and uh, the Russians therefore proved to be more formidable than anybody had uh, had planned on. This is Moscow getting ready for defense, and so that once th- I'll say it again: you and I look at this, you see Stalin. Hitler looks and he said the Jews. Okay, I mean, who's Stalin representing? Who's the, the the power base or something like that? Right? It's hard to figure out how he saw it, but. Uh, this conflation of Judaism and communism we talked about last week. All right? All right, let's go to the next one. And then the second thing that happened in December is Pearl Harbor, which Hitler didn't plan on, but now America was in the war. By the way, he did the stupid idea of declaring war in America. America did not declare war in Hitler. Yeah, that's, that's another one of his uh, idiot things. Anyway, um, since America was now in the war, there is no reason to hold back on killing all the Jews. Do you get it? If America was not in the war, then you feel a little, maybe it'll tick off the US government to do something. Maybe Roosevelt will get angry. Maybe world opinion will go against Germany. But now they're against us anyway. To hell with it. You see, like that. And anyway, he was convinced that Roosevelt, of course, is really Franklin finkelstein rosenfeld as Goebbels called him. And well, you can see he's Jewish, right? I mean, he's got a Jewish face. I'm telling what the Nazis said, not what I'm saying. Okay? That's what Nazis said. said, look at that, you know, it's not an Aryan face, okay? And so that means that uh, Hitler and the Germans, who were in his side, were convinced that the World War II was a Jewish war, okay? A Jewish war. And uh, I would tell you, there were Americans, fortunately only a few, that felt exactly this way, and they said the whole thing, and our kids are getting killed, and for the Jews, you see? Now, in Hitler's mind, England and the USA shouldn't be fighting Germany. Why are they doing that? I'm not against America. I didn't do anything to them. And even England, it's only because they attacked me on Poland. I didn't ever attack England, right? And anyway, now I'm fighting Russia. Why should they help Russia? If they do it, it's a Jew thing. Must be that America and England, the power behind the throne is some Jewish fellows. And since the Jews are dooming my plans to win the war. They messed me up. So the question now becomes, how can he win the Grand Alliance? How can he beat the combination of U.S., British Empire, and Russia? In the back of his mind, Germany may lose now. He starts to realize this, because if this particular team is in office, Churchill, Roosevelt, Stalin, they will never make peace with him. He was used to a kind of politician like Chamberlain. You know, After a while, you can make a peace. But these three guys, they're kind of like famous in history because they said there will be no peace. What was the famous slogan of Roosevelt? Unconditional surrender, you understand? Uh, And they said, you're only making things harder. Germans won't surrender. He says, I mean it, though. (laughs) You follow? What what did Churchill say? He said, we'll never parley with it. You know all that. And so if you were Hitler, you're freaking out. If that's the case, then I'll tell you one thing. I don't know what the end's going to be, but the Jews are not going to win. Now, this is a weird way of thinking. How are the Jews not going to win? I'm going to kill all the Jews in Europe. How's that going to stop America, Russia, and England from beating you? Pregnant, cautious, you know. The, uh, it, I'll deal a blow to. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? How is killing the Jews in Poland or Hungary going to defeat Eisenhower's army, you know, Stalin's army? It will. And he's famous for making the same speech a couple times where he said the Jewish thinks, international Jewry thinks that uh, the next world will bring down the destruction of of European civilization. They will find out that no, it brings the the extermination of the Jewish people in in Europe. And by the way, he carried it out. He says, I'll be a prophet today. Hitler said this. I'll be a prophet today, and you'll see who lasts last. And we can't laugh at him, because he did it. right? So uh, whatever happens, the the Jews not win. As a result. Right after Pearl Harbor, you have that famous episode that they made movies about now, you see in a second, where all the top German bureaucrats and officials get together in a uh, fancy mansion, and they say, this is how we're going to, from now on, the orders from the top down to go for it. I'm giving you orders like if I was the CEO of a company, and the goal is to kill all the Jews in Europe. Now the question is how and when, and so on and so forth. It's a German movie. I'm going to show you in a second German movie with English subtitles. Uh, Americans made it their own English movie. A German movie where Reinhard Heydrich, the uh, Hitler's like number three, number four, big ass, He was under Himmler, uh, convokes a gathering of like we would say today an interdepartmental uh, committee because that's if you want to do it, you do it right. Agree. Uh, if, you're going to, if the United States government is going to do something, we want somebody from the Interior Department, from the Justice Department, we want somebody from the Transportation Department, you know, we, if you want to do it in a coordinated fashion. So with Germany, you got to get somebody from the Foreign Office, you got to get somebody from the Transportation Ministry, you got to get somebody from the Finance Ministry, because what are you going to do with all the money that's usually behind? you got to get some money from the uh, Attorney General's Office, because how do you define who's a Jew? you got to get some people that, you know, you, you understand what I'm saying. And that's scary because that means they're really going about this in an organized, bureaucratic fashion. And he will say it. I'll say it again. This is a movie the Germans made, not me, in the 1980s. Okay? And you'll see. Say just what I told you. He says Hitler made up his mind. Since we're at war with America and all the Jews, anyway, uh, that's it. We're taking them down. Look at this. Opinion, this is Hydris.
0: USA, die, neue Lage. die jüdische Einweisung des Reiches ist damit komplett. Aber besonders in Deutschland ist der Führer von England. Ein hat bis zuletzt gehofft, es würde doch eine Vernunft annehmen und unsere legitimen Wünsche anerkennt, Lebensraum im Osten, angemessene Rolle in Europa, Lösung der Judenfrage durch Auswanderung. Wir hätten auch mit denen dort ein Klima finden können. Wir suchen der gleichen Rasse, wenn wir immer nur allein gehören. Der jüdische das hat sich das auch im Downing Street durchgesetzt.
1: There you you have it. And I think these are more or less taken from the surviving protocols that that survived, you know, they have the records of the the conference. Professor Shapiro could tell you better than I. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah. But most of the copies were gone, and one survived in a a bombing and thing. Anyhow, um, the U.S. uh, 15 years later, 20 years later, made an American movie with Kenneth Branagh. Uh, It's called Conspiracy, and they do the same thing. Uh, They just have it in English, and you'll see when it gets to the part. uh, And I'll tell you again, they're talking. How about trucks? How about shooting? How about this? How about that? And this takes so slow, and you have millions of people to deal with. How do you do it? And finally, you got acid. Now we got this worked out. Now Eichmann, I said, we got this organized. There's a thing called the gas chamber, and it's industrial, and we can process so and so many units. And they do like in Europe, which is you bang the table instead of clapping. You understand? In this country, we clap. Over there, you bang the table. Take a look at this. That was great trial. Now, uh, where did we stop? The last
2: remark was by General Freisler. The Jews go in red. Eichmann. I uh, Pink. Tetra.
0: Yes. That is progress. The side effect of CO gas. Now there is more to say about that. Studies are moving for something even faster. Other faster and it's a business meeting could be used. cyanide is being tested uh, various forms electrocution too uh, electrocution too yes sir right. there is a research being done to see whether electrocution can even more uh effectively quietly put an end uh, a period to the end of the sentence say one truckload an hour including putting the contents in running the engines removing the contents cleaning the inevitable soiling on a 24-hour schedule 1440 a day times 20 trucks 20 trucks that's 28,800 a day. 10,512,000 in one year. But I cannot imagine you could operate consistently at that rate, not to mention disposal. Gas vans are a short-term field solution. We have three camps where permanent gas chambers will
2: be operational. I'm sorry? Yes, I was about to mention Belzec, Zobobor and Treblinka before General Hoffman was taken ill. It was a fine cigar. Ultimately, the camps will be the primary locations. Yes. Now, last summer, Reichsfuhrer Himmler asked me to visit a camp up in Upper Silesia, called Auschwitz, which is very well isolated and close to significant rail access. And we are turning that camp into a major center, solid structures. And here's where your Jewish labor comes into play here, Norman. The Jews hold the bricks, and they build the buildings themselves. And when the structures are complete, we expect to be able to process 2,500 an hour, not a day, an hour.
0: And those numbers look
2: a lot better. 2,500 an hour. 2,500. At 24 hours a day, that is 60,000. 60,000 each day. That's 21,900,000 Jews a year, if ever there were that many. We are also constructing the means of disposal, which will obviously depend upon the process of combustion. Yes, it will be industrial in nature, large commercial gas-fed ovens, no residue to speak of.
0: sixty thousand Jews every day go up in smoke. we can achieve that. imagine.
1: assembly line.
0: yes the clever Americans have shown us that but we put it to the purpose of a triumphant German vision triumphant german vision so this is my command to you here link arms your units your ministries apply your intelligence apply your energies the machinery is waiting feed it get them on the trains keep the trains rolling and history will honor us for having the will and the vision to advance the human race to greater purity in a space of time so short charles darwin would be astonished now, I want to bring this meeting to a close. The one matter we have had to postpone is the point at which mixed becomes holy German or holy Jew. That line will be drawn very quickly.
1: Uh, I am not trying to rewrite your law, but I am invoking okay, the purest uh, principle. This really yes. Everybody should see is this. above movement. all written Especially law. in nine days. This you can watch on Tichabu. Um because it happened. One month, this is about a month after Pearl Harbor. I'm just trying to show you. So this wasn't the beginning of the, when Hitler came to power. And this wasn't, you know, a time of the beginning of the World War II. The Jews in Poland, especially the western half of Poland, Warsaw and such places, Poznan, had been under the Germans for, what, two, three years already. Okay? Now, they were put in the ghettos, and they they had malnutrition, and the people died from this, that, and the other, starvation. But the organized program that you and I immediately think of when you talk about the word Holocaust is, quote-unquote, relatively late in the day and it's after America gets in the war, and then the, the, obviously Hitler and the others say, this is it, we're just taking them down. Whatever happens to Germany, we are going to get the Jews. And they did, because if this is January or so of 42, over the next six, seven, eight, 10 months, 12 months, 13 months, 14 months, they kill all the Jews in Poland. <laughs> That's what happened. Now, when I say that, I mean the people on the left side, not the ones who were shot by one and a half million. That's gone anyway. You don't need them. You don't need a concentration camp for them. I'm talking about the Jews who were in the ghettos and places in the original half of Poland that the Germans took over. So uh, that means that you know, with all the industrial process and all the other junk, '43. You know, the worst ghetto was April of '43, right around that time. You could say they finished and wiped out the Polish Jewry, three points some million men. Some people survived, of course, but the vast, vast majority were exterminated in the way I just uh, described. Now why am I going through all this? Um, to explain to you that exterminating the Poles was something the Nazis couldn't get to right away. It took them till 43 to work at the Jewish business. By the way, once they set up all the concentration camps, and incidentally, I'm talking about really extermination camps. You know, Belzic and such places it wasn't like Auschwitz. You got off the train, you went in, it's over, done. You know, some you, we think of Auschwitz and some other places, and Professor Zabir will tell you better than I can. They were like part work and part um, extermination. So you, you will find survivors from Auschwitz, not many. Uh, I don't know, are there any people from Belzec and Majdanek and such places like that? Here you go. Ten, ten people. <laughs> all that, you hear that? So in other words, there's no, like you see in the movies, you know, barracks, that and the other. No, you get off, eh, done, over. So it was really an industrial situation. And even so, given the shifts and back and forth because, you know, nobody knew in 1939 which way the future was going to be. So you're already holding by mid-43 or something like that. But they finished, quote, unquote, with the Jews, right, using those things primarily for the Jews. Of course, they did also not only Polish Jews, you know, did the Greek Jews and the other, but, but this is the basic idea. And so, um, why am I bringing this out? The Poles would have to wait their turn to be exterminated, according to Hitler's plan, to at least second half of 43, if at all. Well, guess what? By the summer of 43, the war had taken a sharp turn for the worse as far as the Germans are concerned. On the Eastern Front, the Russians Won two giant victories. The Germans had two gigantic defeats, gigantic defeats in Stalingrad and Kursk. Okay? Everybody's heard of Stalingrad, not so many people heard of Kursk. But basically, what happened is the Russians wiped out whole armies. Whole armies. Uh, I remember a quarter of a million Germans, something like that, surrendered at, at, at Stalingrad. So you throw in another quarter million, got killed for whatever, in Kursk, similar numbers. After that, in the words of Winston Churchill, the Red Army has clawed the guts out of the German cat. You understand? So uh, Hitler was, the German army was wounded. And that means that from then on, it's a one-sided war. Okay, from Kursk, from July or so, middle of 43, throughout the rest of 43, all through 44 and into 45, the Germans always retreating, the Russians always advancing. It's just, sometimes the Germans can block Mm -hmm. them for a little while, okay? But the Jews are always, always retreating. I'm sorry, the, 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 the Germans are always retreating. Um, and that means that slowly but surely, Stalin's armies are getting closer all the time. So they never have time to get around to killing all the Poles. Do you follow what I'm saying? Uh, the Germans' army had its hands full just trying to hold on the Middle East. No time to exterminate the Poles. If anything, the Germans got a desperation start to figure out like this. Is there any way that we can win back the affection of the Poles to make an alliance with them against the Russians or find people to man our armies? Same thing with the Ukrainians, the Lithuanians, all the rest of it because the Germans are losing a lot of men all the time. And so can you somehow or other get these others? Only in Europe can they think like this. Yes, I killed your mother, your father, I destroyed your sister, all the rest of it, but that was yesterday. Now let's make a, I'm serious, it's unbelievable. You know? Anyhow, here we have, as I said before, um, but if they could figure a way to do a deal with the Poles, they would have done it. Here we have the famous weakness or error of Hitler and his regime, because Hitler dominated the regime many would say it's his number one mistake, and that was their racism, their racialism, and the crazy Lebensraum dreams prevented them from doing a Pilsudski, <laughs> from becoming the champions of the small peoples of the East who hated the Reds. Do you remember this from last time? You could have had, you could have. Hitler, when he came into the East in 1939, 40, 41, he could have done like this. I'm coming, maybe not Poland, but he said, I'm coming in, um, and I'm letting the Belarusian people make their own country, and the Ukrainian people make their own country, and Lithuanian to make their own country, and I'm your best friend, and Germany's not going to bother you. By the way, they would have trouble killing the Jews, so it wouldn't be a problem with that. And now I'll have a whole buffer zone, the United States of Eastern Europe, like the dream of Pilsudski, between me and Russia, and because we help them, they'll be friends with us, and we'll do trade and economic junk like that, and uh, if the Russians ever wanted to fight anybody, let them fight the Ukrainians. Let them fight it. It won't bother Germany. That would have taken a great act of statesmanship. You understand? That would take a broad vision. And Hitler was not built that way. Okay. Instead, he came in and he shot the local people and he uh, enslaved them and he took away their farms. I had no time to talk about it. He ended up even alienating the people of the Baltics, the Lithuanians, the Latvians, who he should have gotten along great with. But you know, when they kill the Jews, the question of who gets the money, is that we want the money, we want the money, we want. Uh, the Germans couldn't help but being this very uh, what you call it, fanatical and small-minded uh, approach in World War II, which really hurt them a lot. Because I can tell you right now, the Ukrainians, the Russians, even themselves hated Stalin. Now, plenty of them did. Plenty of them did. And if he would have say, I'll form an army of you to help you guys take out Stalin, I mean, it, it, it would have worked. Barak Hashem didn't happen, but it would have worked. But on the other hand, you never know, because Hitler figured like this: politics makes strange bedfellows, and real politics really makes strange bedfellows. Or did we not have <laughs> the two democratic guys and the worst uh, dictator ever, <laughs> called the Big Three? Correct. I mean, how does how do you get Stalin and FDR and all that together when politics makes strange bedfellows? See, if Churchill and Roosevelt could buddy up with Stalin, then why can't the peoples of the East buddy up with Hitler against Stalin? That's but the Germans were thinking, after 43, a red invasion by the Russians was viewed with horror and disgust. Let's talk about that for a minute, and then relate it to the specific case of Poland. So I can't help I told you tonight. It's a complicated story. After And the Jews in the middle of it, unfortunately. After World War I, half the peoples of Eastern Europe succeeded in preventing the Soviets from conquering them, and half did not. So if you look at the map, after World War I, we talked about last week. Poland got their own country. Lithuania and Estonia were lucky enough got their own country. The Ukrainians were shafted. They didn't get the country, the Communists took them over. The Belarusians were shafted. They didn't get their own country, the Communists took them over. So some were lucky and some weren't. Okay? Some countries had 20 years of independence and some did not. Um, okay. After the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, which I spoke about before, when uh, Hitler and Stalin buddied up, Stalin took over most of the unconquered territory. That's what happened. When he said, I want to do, ha- you do half of Poland, I'll do half of Poland. He meant, you know, the territories that I'm pointing to over here, which became independent after the First World War. So Stalin took over Lithuania, I mean, Estonia, he took a piece of Finland. He took over um, what I'm pointing to over here is Eastern Poland, which is really a lot of Ukrainians. So Stalin said, well, he never finished taking over all the Ukrainians, and so now we'll do it, and, and, and we'll add it to him now. These are the uh, games that are being played by these terrible monsters in, in, in Eastern Europe. Okay. Uh, now, when Stalin took this over, I'm talking about 1939, 1940, you hear what I said? Before Hitler invaded him, Stalin ruthlessly communized and terrorized like crazy. This is a nightmare episode in the history of the peoples of that part of the world. They know all about it. You don't. They hate the fact that you don't know about it. How can you not know what Stalin did to the Lithuanians? How can you not know what he did to the Estonians? They would come in the middle of the night. The NKVD in the middle of the winter tell the whole family to get out, go on a train. By the time they ended up in Siberia, they're all frozen to death anyway. And the children are tossed out, uh, you know, uh, dead, uh, off the railroad cars. And oh, it's terrible, terrible, terrible. And since we live now in the age of the uh, YouTube, you know, just go Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Ukraine. But like the 30s and 40s, you know, they they just produced this all stuff endlessly. Because that's, as they see, that's their Holocaust. I just want to be very clear about it. And nobody, nobody complains about that. They can't stand that, you know? Nobody complains about that. Okay, so it was a nightmare for the people in the Baltics and the peoples of Eastern Poland and Bessarabia, because the Russians, like I say, before anybody of a certain class was just uh, shot or arrested and you never saw them again, and worked to death in the mines, and families were torn apart, and whole properties were taken over, and you know, it was what it was. Now, um, and then, in all those territories, everything I just described happened in 1940. To everyone's surprise, one year later Hitler came in and took it all over. Do you get what I'm saying? If you lived in Ukraine, or you lived in Lithuania, one of those type of places, Vilna, let's say. One year, the Russians come in, and a year later, the Germans come in. You follow? Now, um, when the Germans come in, the people were happy that the Soviets were gone, but pretty soon they were disappointed by the Nazi attitudes because the Nazis said, I guess we're in charge, and before the Russians exploited you, and now we're going to exploit you. But when push came to shove, if you asked a regular Ukrainian living in eastern Poland or Lithuania, if, if you have to choose and you can't get to pick freedom, who would you rather have the Germans or the Russians? rather have the Germans. Does that make sense? Because the Russians communized everything. Now, uh, because they figured that Germany would give them a better deal. And they were very angry when the Nazis made it clear that they would give no independence and they actually intended to reduce everybody to helots, the slaves. Uh, so on the other hand, it wasn't too long before the Germans were on the retreat and on the defensive. So that's why they have these movies and novels. You see a family in 1939, and then you see it in 1940. The Russians show up and everything turns upside down. And then you see her later the Germans show up and everything turns upside down. And then you fast forward another two years, and the Russians are coming back. This is what they call living at the wrong time in the wrong place. Like I said, if any of you had parents that came to this country before the Second World War, go to the cemetery this week. It's the nine days, and say thank you. You know, Uh, it was a terrible time. And so pretty soon, the Germans were under retreat on the defensive. At that point, the Germans did not have to oppress the locals anymore, even though they'd done so previously in many places. Instead, the Germans armed the locals. They said. Adraba, go and form partisan groups and fight the Russians. <laughs> you see? And many did. Most people don't know this. The locals fought the Russians until 1950. Yeah. There were wars going on in Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Ukraine, and places like that, in which you had whole armies out in the countryside and this sort of business, fighting the Soviets after the Russian army had taken them over. And the Russian generals that were killed in the fighting, Vatutin and the others. It, nobody knew about this in the West. You know what I'm saying? They thought that Stalin had taken over and nothing would can happen over there. I'll say it again, the Ukrainians are actually turning out a whole bunch of movies on this kind of thing. So what does this mean? You got Russia in charge, the Germans in retreat, the locals are forming these partisan groups, and they'll kill anybody they don't like. By the way, being Jewish was terrible. The local partisans are usually anti Semitic among other things, and they'll kill you even if you manage to survive Hitler. There are many stories like that, I'm sorry to say. Part of the locals' anger was directed against the Jews. Why? This is a terrible phenomenon, but there's, uh, what should I tell you? There's no time to, well, maybe I'll go into it a little bit. But I'm contrasting what I'm saying now with what happened in Poland or, or, or the Western Poland. When the Germans came in in 41, the locals arose on their own and conducted horrible pogroms. These are these are the nice pictures. I can't show you the bad ones. These are bad enough. This is in Kovna, where they're taking baseball bats and bashing people's heads in. And here's a guy standing with a stick. And here's a lady, God knows what they're doing, and all the rest of it. And just give you a little bit of this I'm in Lvov, do this all across the line of advance of the, of, of the German army. And you say, I'll say it again, this is your neighbors and all the rest of it, not the Germans. Okay? And because it wasn't the Germans, it was not a matter of shooting. It's usually an ax, a bat, uh, you know, uh, I don't know what, you know, all kinds of things like that that pull people's eyeballs out terror Just unbelievably bad things. And it's the locals, okay? The peoples of these areas. Uh, is this Polish pogroms? Not exactly. The people that mostly did this were the Ukrainians, the Belarusians, the Lithuanians, the Latvians, big time. Um, we're interested specifically in case of Poland tonight. Here the Poles did not carry out these kinds of pogroms um, during the war. Now they did after the war. We'll talk about that next week. But not during the war. The Poles were immediately treated by the Germans as an irredeemable enemy race that has to be killed sooner or later, whose lands are going to be settled by the Germans. But the Poles were also shafted by Stalin. As somebody once said, I think Dean Acheson. He says, "Don't blame uh, you know, don't blame America. It's your geography. <laughs> Get it? Wrong place. Because Stalin does not want a new Poland. From the time Stalin made a deal with Hitler." until Hitler's surprise attacked him. So from September 39 to June of 41, if you can follow that, year and a half. Stalin was fine with having no Poland whatsoever. After all, Catherine the Great had no problem with that. We saw that. Agreed? Uh, Stalin and Hitler both agreed that the best policy was to kill the Polish elites. Anybody has got a high school degree, anybody got a college degree, anybody's a pharmacist, anybody's a lawyer, just kill them. You understand? That way, they won't have a leadership class. This is a very interesting. Okay, uh, Stalin, I don't know if you heard this or not, had a bunch of Polish prisoners, officers, captains, colonels, generals, and things like this, and he shot them all in basements. It's called Kotin. Again, the Poles made a very famous movie about this a couple years ago. Happened over and over again. Here is the, the, the Poles have no idea what's going on. They're taken to a prison. They think it's a prison. They pull the guy out. These are Russian guards with the blue caps. and The guy comes out. He's a general. He's a POW. Where am I going? They say, Come into the building. Come into the building. Okay. He goes in the building. You know, <laughs> he obviously has an the idea. They say, Give us your belt, <laughs> which is kind of interesting, you know. No, he can't run away, you know. And second, all the Russians can use it. And he said, Now go in the building. Okay. And one thing the building got to be processed. Now you figure out what's going to happen. And they not have a chance. And they just make an ID, make sure they got the right guy. He's a general. Right guy. <inaudible> Once they got the right guy, you want to make sure your file is in order, you know what
3: right?
1: No, no problem.
3: problem.
1: <laughs> Gotta sign it. Tie Sabah. it in hand so the guy shouldn't make any trouble. And take him to the other room. And say, Shalom Aleichem. Right? See the end of that? And then you wash the floor There's a Russian standing there doing this every day for months. Boom, boom, it's one shot in the back of the head. That's what they're famous for. And you throw the body into the truck, okay. <laughs> it's, it's organized. And you wash it off. And now you're ready for the next one. They did this 22,000 times, okay? Stalin, uh, and by the way, the BBC interviewed the shooters like 50 years later, and they said, "Oh, it was terrible. Some of my men couldn't stand the shooting so much, and they killed themselves." You know, really, really. <laughs> this is Eastern Europe you're talking about over here, okay? And here goes another guy. So they called this Katyn, right? Boom, there. End of story. And like I said, they did it 22,000. On. So on the one hand, what, what was the reason? The reason goes like this: These are the leaders of future Poland. No, they're not. These are the guys who'd be the, the, the thinkers, the generals, the statesmen, the political leaders, the writers, and, the, and, and when, when Poland gets back its independence after war, No, they're not, because they're not communists, okay? And so there you have it. Now, the, so the Germans got shafted by the Russians, but then the same thing, the Germans, did, I'll start again, the Polish got it from the Russians, and then they got it from the Germans. The same movie shows you what they do to the professors from the Polish university in Krakow, right? and here's this professor, they're all called in to hear a speech from the German uh, officer, Dr. Miller. Yeah. They think they're going to have instructions on how to run the university. Okay, You can see they're all intellectual type professor types. This is, by the way, one of the oldest universities in Europe, the University of Krakow. Do you have a The, thing. the uh, subtitles? Basically it sounds like this. We've decided that we're closing down the universities and we're going to shoot you all. <laughs> okay. Okay. Because the very existence of this university is an anti-German act.
3: And uh, goodbye.
1: you understand? Uh,
3: you're a fighter, you're a, an enemy type
1: institution. Okay? Just give geschlossen. one Sie sind alle gebracht, Subtitles.
3: Discussion is pointless. I protest. Anybody doesn't listen,
1: get shot. And here they come. Pick all them up. And you ship them off to a German camp, and they never come back. In fact, what they end up doing like they did with some of the German Jews, they'll send you back a parcel with the ashes and you have to pay for the postage. Okay? And they were totally unexpected this, as you can tell. That's the end of that's enough. Now, to so Poland, you know, they have their complaints of what happened in World War II. Now, how do they respond? Unlike the people of the Baltics, the Lithuanians and the others, the Poles are an allied country. It was England, France, and Poland, right? They're allied to the British and the French. They regard themselves as part of the West. They immediately set up, they never surrendered, they set up a government in exile in London, and uh, the leading figure in the government exile was General Sikorsky, was well known. He was a, a, de, a genuine Democrat. Uh, he was like Pilsudski. Let's go to the next one. But he opposed Pilsudski because Pilsudski was too dictatorial. So he's not anti-Semitic, really. You know, that's my point. But the Polish government in exile is is a coalition of a lot of different groups, including our friends the National Democrats. We talked about last time, uh, who are viciously anti-Semitic. So I love this. Here you are in Poland, representing Poland. Fighting against Hitler, but you're complaining about the Jews. Okay, um, the Sikorsky guys try to shut him up. Why do they try to shut him up? Because anti-Semitism, he says, we know from our own history, plays into the cynical hands of Russia, as has always been the case. Right? How was Catherine the Great able to take over Russia in the first place? Because of religious persecution against the Protestants these other guys like that. So basically, shut up. You understand? The only one you help every time you criticize the Jews, if you're on the Allied side, is, is, is Stalin. Because Stalin can then say, see, see what kind of guys he had to deal with? You understand? I put him in my hands. Russia's wonderful for the Jews, you see? And so the differences between, among the Polish groups represented in the London government mirrors the divisions among the Poles in the, in, in the World War II inside Poland. So if you're Jewish and you ran across some Pole in the wartime, it all depends what kind of Pole you make. You see? Um, in 1939 to 41, the beginning of the war, the situation looked bleak for Poland, even if the Poles fight in the RAF and all that, but like, where's it going? How's, how's, how's England alone ever beat Hitler? They're barely hanging on for themselves in the Battle of Britain and the Blitzkrieg. But then the invasion of Russia in June 41 totally changes the political calculus. Because Stalin, who was buddies with Hitler, you know, <laughs> can you play chess? Stalin was buddies with Hitler and now lost that. Now he's got to Buddy up with England. If he's going to buddy up with England, he's got to be friends of the Poles. Ah, you just shot a 50,000 of them and all the rest of them in the back of the head and you put them all, a veldt of them, in uh, concentration camps and frozen uh, prison situations and all the rest of it. That was yesterday. We're going to let everybody go and now you go fight for Poland. I'm serious, they did it. okay? Uh, Stalin desperately needs the help of Britain and the USA so he can't say no more Poland, because that's not, and America and, England are so on the ropes that they don't say, how come you teamed up with Hitler? They say, well, we're glad you did chuva, you know. And so, uh, instead, Stalin turns on a dime. All the Poles in, in the USSR can go free. Sorry about the gulag uh, prisons, you know. That was a mistake, so sorry. By all means, form a Polish army in the USSR and fight for the British, be my guest. And he allows one guy out of jail. This guy was not shot in the back of the head, General Anders. And he forms a whole big group up there. Now look, until June of 22nd, 1941, he was in a Soviet concentration camp, and then a little bit afterwards, oh, that, that was a mistake. i <laughs> you know, so sorry. Right. Okay, now you're on our side, and we'll give you all the privileges of a general, and go around the country, Soviet Union. Imagine that, and form your army, find your poles, and and and, and do it. Uh, this is Menachem Begin's story. Menachem <laughs> Begin. It's him in a Soviet concentration camp. Because he was arrested by NKVD when he was in Vilna in 1939 or 40, and he was sentenced to them in the Soviet uh, concentration camp, as Stalin was doing all over the place, because Begin's a Zionist, and he's a lawyer, and all that kind of stuff. But then, uh, it's, it's, it's a Yeshua, you know? All of a sudden, one day, they wake up in June of 1943, and the guards in the prison camp say, who's Polish? Step forward, yeah, free to go. You want to join the Polish army? Now, by the way, if you join the Polish army, you can then fight with the British in North Africa. What What? what am I, how do you translate it in English? You can get out of Russia. <laughs> right? And it's legal. And so Begin says, I joined the Polish army. <laughs> and so do many other Jews. Uh, by the way, when they get to Israel, like Begin, others, they leave. The Poles say, oh, you bunch of deserters. And I get to, I... See, I understand what the poles are saying, but I also understand what the Jews are saying, right? Menachem I can beg, is a, I read somewhere that he asked if he got permission, but, but the bottom line is, most Jews, once they get, you know, next stop, Tel Aviv, he says, I'll be, I'm going to the bathroom, I'll be back in five minutes. <laughs> you understand? Because uh, why would not you? Right? Who'd be nuts not to do that? So we have this clash of sensibilities, do we not? What's interesting is, in talking with communist poles. On their side, uh, Stalin's uh, Beria, you know who that was the head of the K- NKVD, the head of the KGB, as we say, the secret police chief. He, as, as, as Stalin used to introduce him, "This is my Himmler," you know. Uh, See, so he says, "You know, we talk of made a mistake shooting 25,000 people because we could have used them now in the war." Look at the next thing.
0: Here at the Lubyanka, the headquarters of the NKVD, discussions were being held about the formation of a surprising new fighting force. A small number of Polish officers hadn't been killed back in the spring. They had agreed to collaborate with the Soviets. They were to form a new Polish military unit to fight under the overall command of the Red Army. In October 1940, several of them attended a dinner at the Lubyanka, hosted by the head of the secret police,
3: Lavrenty Beria. Хотите что-нибудь выпить? Пожалуйста, oh, возьмите.
1: get the, the thing on there.
3: Думаю. Мы согласились в принципе, что польские подразделения составят вооружённый отряд внутри армии.
1: He wants to fight for Russia. These are the communists Poles. качество. Вот что важно. Отряды, которые хорошо организованы и
3: хорошо вооружены. Хорошо вооружённая дивизия сильна как железный кулак.
1: Нам нужны польские офицеры. Хотели бы, чтобы наших офицеров
0: they still believed that the other Polish officers remained in prison camps, though in reality they had all been murdered by Beria's men six months before.
3: the in the camps. We a big mistake with them. Whoops.
1: <laughs> okay, so you know because Stalin said, "I didn't know in six months I'd be fighting Hitler." Yeah, you know, did I want to shot up? You think? Whoops. Uh, so why am I throwing this all at you? If you have no idea what's going on in this part of the world in this time, time, how do you relate the way that the Jews and non-Jews related to each other, or what? It, the Jews had their own, as we all know, misfortune, in the middle of an ocean of other misfortunes and crazy people. Ours are unique because they went after each and every person, men, women, and children, and killed them. They did succeed. To the others, they just killed a bunch. You know, they didn't get a time to kill everybody. Uh, from now on, once the British and the Americans on his side, Stalin has a new goal, It's not to wipe out Poland. He has what I would call a plan, a plan. First comes the words he'll settle if he can get this, you know, the eastern part of Poland, and you know, if he can hold on to that, so he'll be satisfied. But Lecha if he gets his way, he'd take a all of Poland, and that's what he did in the end, as you know. So all the Poles during World War II, the Poles, 1942, 43, 44, are scared to death because they say we're stuck. Now, on the one hand, we got Hitler, and if Hitler gets beaten, we got Stalin. And they were right. And what's the plan? that some American army under General Patton's going to liberate poland it's not even within the realm of possibility, you understand? It's, it's, it's not even, you know, to, to imagine. And so get over it, guys. The Germans are being beaten and the Russians are coming in. Start to think along the line. Poles can't handle that. I understand emotionally, they can't handle that, okay? They're terrified, they're angry. During all this time, during World War II, the Poles, I'm talking about the Ganyam now, built up a large underground movement including a civil administration, a government within a government, underground, with the newspapers and you know taxes and all that stuff, and an army, meaning a secret army, that is to say civilians, who get ready to fight when you give the word. And it's very remarkable, but they always say like this, don't rise against the Germans too soon. Because first of all, it won't work, and second of all, it'll play in the hands of Russia. And at the end, it happened anyway, but I'm, this is all the time they're saying, get ready for the day, get ready for the signal, get ready for the day in practice until then. So the politics in Poland during the war itself is crazy. How did the Jews fit in? That's the big question. Now, all I can give you is my take. Poland, as we've seen, had plenty of Jew haters and plenty of people who were not. By the late 30s, there were plenty of haters. But there were also the others. Remember, Poland did not have democratic elections since uh, the Sanation, since Polsoski's time, back in the middle of the, um, of the 20s. Okay, so we'll never know in a free election would they have voted for the anti-Semitic parties, everybody, or majority voted for the more liberal parties. It's an open question. We can sort of see now how big a group were the bad polls because everybody knows those stories. The neighbors who gave people away, who uh, you know did all kinds of things like that. It's not easy to see how many good ones there are because we don't know. Either way, the polls, and I want you to understand this, because I don't think we both usually do. In World War II, underwent a very weird experience in 1939 to 44, besides their own suffering. The ethnic cleansing and the mass murder of 10% of the population, and in many places the Jews of 20 and 30% of the population and more, right in front of their own eyes over a long period of time. So here you are, living in your house. You have your job, you go about your business. And you just see they pack everybody in this place, and they're gone. They're gone, and you see that repeatedly over years. And you know you're saying, "Thank God I'm not Jewish," but you see in front of you they're getting rid of people all the time. If you live in the smaller places, you see them shoot them. If you live not too far away from the concentration camps, the extermination camps. I mean, you just see, you know, the, the crematorial You can't be that stupid. You see a train go in and they come out empty all the time, every day. This is weird. You know what I'm saying? This ain't that normal. Right? To live in such a place. Whatever your personal predilections are, it's what we would call today we don't want to expose our children to bad videos. You know, nobody wants to, nobody wants to see, and you sooner want your kids to see when they cut off the head of Daniel Pearl. And here the whole country saw this all the time. All right? Uh, and this is kind of unique. It didn't happen in Germany, the, Germans didn't, the Nazis didn't put the, concentra- the extermination camps in Germany. They didn't want the Germans to be exposed to this, you understand? It goes to and happens somewhere else. But that means that if they hid it from the Germans, they did not hide it from the Poles because they stuck it in their country. Now these are not Polish concentrated, the Poles didn't set up, but it's happening there. This created a crazy reality in Poland. I'll tell you exactly what I mean using a Baltimore muscle. Somebody comes in and says, There are too many black people in Baltimore. They took over the whole city. You can't walk anywhere. It's a crime. I'm going to get rid of all of them. can concocious. Don't ask how it's going to happen. Just stay in your house and, 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 and mind your own business. And in six months, you can walk anywhere. Down to, a million houses are open for you to take. A million stores are open for you to take. A million businesses are for you to take. And not only that, it's great. You can walk anywhere and no crime and no drugs and this and that. And the other. That's a very scary... Evil seductive thing I just said. Why? A lot of people say, I wouldn't do it, but that's what happened in Poland. You got all these Jews, you have whole neighborhoods, you have old businesses, all the rest of it. You just shut up, and I will make it. That the Messias will change, and everything will be great for you, and you don't have to do anything. You understand? It's a, it's, a, it's a, what I said before. It's a, it's a seductive reality, and that's the beauty of total evil, what they call radical evil. It exercises a fascination. We don't like to say this. It exercises a fascination on so many people out there. I, ha- I wish this were not true, but it is. And whether you want to admit it or not, Hitler today captures the imagination and admiration of tens of millions of people out there, maybe more. They say, no, it can't be. Not your next door neighbor not your college professor, but you go around the world, I think you know this. Because they, all the time you see articles in the paper in this country, in that country, you make Hitler t-shirts until somebody protests, and make Hitler songs until somebody protests, and say, wow, he, 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 he did all, it's like a exterminator, you know, no more bugs, it's gewaldic. And any group I don't like, if you do that, your mom has totally solved the problem, it's, it's great. So it's this seductive, radical evil, as they call it over here. In order for the evil to work, to exercise this unique attraction, it's gotta be total, you gotta kill them all. Because if you kill a bunch, you left a bunch behind, then it simply becomes an atrocity, and the survivors and the victims raise hell and do all kinds of things like that, and call attention, you're the one, your uncle was the one who did this, and your uncle was the one who did that. But if you get them all, nobody can point a finger at anybody, then it worked, then it worked. This is terrifying, this is scary, what I'm seeing up here, because this beast lies within the human race. It's existential, It'll never go away, it's just as if somebody can tickle the, you know, bone to, 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 to uh, you know arouse it. Uh, it's pretty big. Now, in Poland, that's exactly what Hitler did. Not only in Poland, but in Poland, you can take over this store. <laughs> Nobody's there. You can move in this apartment building. You never like it. where you live. Yeah, you can move over here. There's whole blocks now. Suppose you're a small town, of which there are a zillion in Poland, stadtel something like that. Half the place is Jewish, half the place not Jewish. And then overnight comes a shooting squad or this and the other. Now, the Jews have been there for 400 years. So that's been a Jewish block and a synagogue building and a butcher store and maybe a factory and things like that for hundreds of years. And no, it's not. Who's going to take it over? Well, there's nobody take it over, so we'll take it over. If you take it over, how much are you going to give it back? What's going to happen if the real owner shows up at the end of the war? Once you've settled in, you're spoiling the dream. And so the same guy who wouldn't have shot the guy at the beginning in 1939 will shoot him in 1945, won't he? Do you get what I'm saying? And you can kind of understand it. That's the scary part. That's what I mean, the radical evil. You have to be a person of great morality. You have to be a real Christian. I'm serious about this. People say, right is right and wrong is wrong, and thou shalt not steal it all the rest of it. There are some. But most people out there, Jews as well as Christians, aren't necessarily built that way. If you're presented with this terrible thing, usually you'll keep it. Especially when you say, I didn't do it, correct? I didn't do it. And if I don't take it, someone else will. So it might as well be me. This is nine days material. This is what happens in places like Poland. You understand? And it's uh, scary. And so you have a, an objective, powerful Yitzhak Haro. All you had to do in 1939, 1940, as Mr. Rady can tell you, all you to do is just say he's a Jew. And you're gonna, you don't have to do it; you just finger him. You know, there's a movie. Are we able to do it? Uh, maybe you saw Europa, you wrote about this guy. Well, wait a second. Is a Pole? Is Eastern Poland there? It's, you know, the German army's coming in the area. I just told you, the eastern part of Poland, which Stalin took over, and then the Germans come in, and. This guy is pretending to be German. He got away with it. Solomon Peril. But the Polish guy knew him. And he's telling on him. And he's saying, What are you telling me for? You know, they think I'm German. And he said, "The hell with you. You're a Jew. I'm not telling you. Look at this. It's this a little town in the eastern Poland. There's the boy who the Germans now think he's really Jewish. They think he's a German. Folks, Deutsch. So the Germans like the boy. Uh Uh-oh, the Polak, he knows him. The Germans don't understand him, he's speaking Polish. What did he say? And he's the real guy. He gets run over by a truck. Unless you had a nutty story like that, you got killed. For every, that's a very unusual story. The whole movie's about it, yeah. if you, do, If that didn't happen to you, well guess what? 99 out of 100 times, that did not happen, right? If he's a Jew, that's all it takes, and they kill you. You understand? So if I like your barbershop, <laughs> right? If I like your car, if I like anything, all I have to do is very difficult. You understand what I'm saying? It's very difficult. You have to be a moral hero. Um, all you have to do is take over an empty grocery store, a bakery, a gas station, clothing establishment. Don't worry, the owners are not coming back. There'll be no uh, account to pay, correct? It fans the hate of heart and Polish heart. Something fears. The scenario happened all over the place. Now I was surprised, and Germany had it too. They just made a movie in Germany a few years ago about Rommel, the famous general. And uh, it's not the old one from James Mason. You know, they just made a, a German movie. And so notice, it's not Jews who made this movie. It's, it's, it's German uh, non-Jews. And I was looking. At it. It's about the last few months of Rommel's life, from the D-Day time on to the end of his death. To, the, to his death, and you see him talking to his wife, and he's saying, I'm hearing they're killing the Jews all over the place, and this is very terrible, and the wife says, really, you want to move out of this house? We took over Jews' house. Look, look, look at this. He's greeting his son. This is, this is Rommel. This is this is Rammel. So what did she say? She said, if you really want to do it, you want to give up the house? So that's a very, what's the right word? Not subversive, but you subjoin, you know, you you co-opt everybody. Because if you take the guy's car, you're uh, cooperating, aren't you? If you take the guy's bank account, if you take the lady's, uh, you know, shop. Uh, frankly, if you take her shoes, do, 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 do you see how you make everybody an accomplice? Um, so it's very. Uh, look what a bunch of bums the Nazis were. I mean, they really knew how to how to do this. Did the Poles perpetrate massacres during the years of the operation occupation, not after the war, during the years of occupation? Yes and no. It depends on which half of Poland. At least this is my understanding. I hope I'm not wrong about this. But remember those two lines, western pole and eastern pole. Uh, yes, in the east and not in the west, like those pictures I showed you before. There was, in the east, a collective phenomenon of Jews who ostentatiously welcomed the Russian army in 1939, this was a terrible business. When Stalin sent in the armies, uh, again, you'll see in a second in the, in, in the movie, and Stalin sending the Russian armies into eastern Poland, which is the Ukrainian area, Lvov and all that, and into Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia. The guy hated, it, it's unbelievable, because the Russians are coming in to close down the churches, they're going to communize everything, they're going to, anybody who's a halfway rich, I mean, even a middle class, they'll be sent to Siberia, it's going to be terrible. So this is like a nightmare, she have nightmares, and the Jews will come out and welcome the Russian army, because the Jews are thinking like this, you got that's what you do, you know, you kiss up whoever's in charge. You follow? Now, no, nobody had any idea that one year later it would flip. And so the Lithuanians and the Estonians and the others were so angry at this. And I, I get it, you know? Uh, and the Jews would show, in order to kiss up to the Russians, they'd say, now I take that Polish flag and trample on it. If you're a Pole, you never forget it. If you do that to the Estonian flag, you never forget it. You understand? And they end up saying, you know, the, the, and Stalin says, I really represent... The masses of Ukraine said, "No, you just represent a bunch of Jews." That's what they'll say, and so they'll experience all in a Hitlerian fashion, they're under the Jews. So when the Germans come in and Stalin gets kicked out in '41, let's take it out on the Jews. You see? Again, here's a Polish movie if it works, and they just made, and it's uh, you know about volinia Yeah, where's Jake? And uh, the Russian army is coming in in 1939. And, you, and again, this is a movie made by not, people not Jewish, and you see who is who is welcoming them among others. Not only is welcoming the Hasidim now. I don't know what's Hasidim, but you know uh, the movie's trying to make a point. Okay, you have you don't have it. Okay, fine. Then you, you, you understand the idea. All I can tell you is it turned the non-Jews white hot in the hatred. Okay, it was a terrible mistake. Who could know? But it was a terrible mistake. Um, And as far as I'm aware, the cases that maybe you've heard of like Edwabne or whatever the place is and uh, other where the the Poles went in, burned Jews down in the houses, put them all in there, it's all Eastern Poland. Local people. Right. Are they Polish, though? See, it's very complex. It. But it also was a big pogrom, as you know, in Lvov, A terrible thing. So, you know, it was, it was, it was all along those. Uh, I'm simply saying like this, that um, there are specific stimuli. Uh, I'm not justifying it. I, I remember always in the back, Yitzhak Shamir, the uh, former Prime Minister of Israel, always said, I hate Poland. And, is that it? He said the Poles are all into the cement, they drink with the mother's blood, uh, mother's milk. And why? He says, my father and uncle, the next door neighbors, they come on out and we'll hide you. And they shot him. And so today I just wondered, where was it? I looked out of It's in Grodno, you know, right near there, where he sang. Meaning, you have this uh, pattern, okay, which is a horrible pattern. But those are the people not killed in the concentration camp, those are the people shot in the huge by the uh, ditches by the Holocaust uh, over there. In Western Poland, but like I said before, that never happened. The, the, the Russian army never came in. The Germans came in in September 39. The Jews weren't cheering for them, you see? So the Poles saw with their own eyes for years. The Jews heard it in masses in the ghettos right in the middle of the town. Now, here's Mr. Raiden, the Warsaw ghettos is in the middle of town, all right? Exactly. In Lodz. It's Mamash in the middle of town. It's not out, you know, like Auschwitz somewhere out, out there. It's right there. So if you're Polish, you see is a wall. as people you see starving. Some of them tried to escape out. He can tell you better than I can. Uh, they saw the extermination camps with trains going in and out because places like Belzec and I mean, let's put it this way: How, where is Auschwitz located? It's like 40 miles, I think, from Krakow, right? About 40 miles. Uh, it's nothing. They, you know, less than Silver Spring. Uh, and so you see these mini cities because that's what Auschwitz is, and you see the uh, extermination places, pure extermination. So what do you say about the polls? The reactions varied. If you were the National Democrat type, you say, keep up, you know, you cheered. Now I didn't say you participated, I said you cheered. Okay? Uh, because they say like this, the crowds are doing one good thing to get rid of a pest. I can guarantee you when the, when the Holocaust is over, the polls are gonna say like this, Hitler was terrible, at least he did one good thing. Because now I have my house, <laughs> and I can walk in this neighborhood. and I don't see any Jews anymore, and there's no synagogue. there always with a turnoff to me, and all the rest of it. You know, all these chassidim, eh, 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 right? Gone, gone, gone. Uh, I, the Poles are going to get killed next, and never happened. Never. So they don't, they don't see it that way. If Hitler would have ruled Poland for another couple of years, then they wouldn't have anything to talk about because he killed them. But then, ha- as I tried to explain you tonight, it didn't happen. And if you're a national democrat, you say, "I'll figure with that on my own." But the common danger should not lead, should not lead to. Jewish and Polish brotherhood. If you're a middle-class Catholic living in Poland, which is a very Catholic country, as you know, although, again, you don't participate, but you and your priest cannot help but interpret what's going on as the Torah coming to life. God is punishing the Jews for the crime of... I mean, it, from their perspective, it biblical. It doesn't matter of your axiom, you understand? It's just a matter of your axiom. If you're a Christian and a Catholic, all the rest of it, Just read the scriptures. God will bring up people from far away and you'll eat your children and all this you know, all the things, and you have it right in front of you. So now it's coming. So the priest will say like this, see the hard-hearted Jews and this and the other. God was very merciful until, 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 and then that. Read like the book of Jeremiah. Uh, You will not hesitate, by the way, uh, to partake of the spoils. Okay? If you're an alt-right anti-Semite, or an unprincipled opportunist, great, that happens anywhere. You'll cheat and betray the Jews in hiding, and you'll do, you know, like they, they try to uh, uh, cheat or hurt the, the kids sneaking out of the ghetto in order to get food and things like that. And, you know, all the horrible things you, you see about, because that's who they are. You'll even have fun shooting at people. like Mr. Ray, I read your article. People are shooting for fun, some. Shooting in fun in the ghetto from outside, to see if you can hit anybody, okay? Um, that's not everybody, but so, so basically, are you a Hillary person, are you a Trump person, are you a Bernie person, are you a this person, it depends what kind of poll that you're uh, dealing with over here. Um, if you're a different type of poll, uh, there weren't enough of them, you will try, if not to help the Jews physically, try to get the word to the outside world So I hope that the publicity will, will get out and help the Jews. Uh, the famous uh, Karski, okay, who is uh, not Jewish with a Polish officer. Now look at this. They sent him from the underground to travel through Germany to get to England and eventually get to America to say, first of all, he had messages about Poland. But he also said, by the way, Germans are exterminating three million Jews. They set up an industrial process. And I don't see anybody doing anything about it. Okay, he tries to raise all And by the way, the Polish government in exile publishes official books in which they say the extermination of Jews is happening now. These are Polish citizens, among other things. And you know, what's, what's anybody going to do about it? And uh, how should I put it this way? Um, it's 1942, the industrial extermination is going on. Nobody says anything. Winston Churchill, I know this, knew what's going on because now we know from the Enigma code, right? They cracked the codes of a lot of these things. The police codes, I understand, were not that hard to crack. And so you could, you know, what they called? The Ordnungspolize, you know, you could say, hey, we're going here shooting 50 Jews. I mean, why not hard for the British to read it? And Churchill famously gave a speech in, in Parliament in which he says we're in the presence of a crime without a name. Now today we invented a name, genocide. But that time they're like, what is this? You know, never had before there's a government organized policy from top down in, in an official bureaucratic way to kill every baby, every child and all, all, all the rest of it, as, as, as you know, okay. The best of the Poles, by the way, it's not only the Poles who don't act. Karski, you'll see in a second, very famous, well, the hour's late, so I'll skip it. He says, um, Karski is very famous. He went to FDR. And if you're interested, just Google Jan Karski and you'll see it. Because he gave a famous interview. And he goes in FDR in July of 1943. And he says, I'm here from Polish underground. And Roosevelt, don't worry, we're going to take care of Poland. Everything will be fine. And, uh, and Poland needs this. And also, they're, they're murdering the Jews. Roosevelt says, OK, you know, next item on business. And he's like, you know, like, what is that? And I think he asked him, he asked, do you have any questions for me? And Roosevelt says, how many horses are in Poland? Because uh, did the German army uh, confiscate all the horses? You know, didn't ask how the Jews are. Because Roosevelt figured, like, I'll tell you very simple. Roosevelt figured, like, there's no way we can help them. The only way we can do is end the war. So I'm just interested in a bigger picture of how we defeat Germany. Because that's the only way you'll stop the Holocaust, if you defeat Germany. I, there'll be no Jews left. You know, what, what, what can I do about that?
3: Secretary leads me to his office. I see Roosevelt. He looked like a world leader. Like a world leader? World leader, yes. As a matter of fact, he struck me he was more than the President of the United States. His formulations, his gestures, he did consider himself a world leader. He sits behind his uh, desk, behind him, of course, all American flags, (laughs) you know, very impressive, the whole wall, covered by them, very high chair, grand seigneur, because I was warned he will not get up when he would shake your hand, he's crippled. Shakes hand, please sit down, Mr. Ambassador. Is Mr. Karski, uh, I know about you. I have been informed about your great work, contribution to the Allied cause. I am sure that you would like me to be informed about things in Poland, please. Now, realize this. I had it throughout my entire mission. For me, the Jewish problem was not the only problem, for me, the key problem was Poland. Curse online, Soviet demands, communists in the underground movement, fear of the Polish nation. What is going to happen to Poland? This was the emphasis. Of your mission? Oh, y- yes, my mission, of course, and my concern, naturally. I speak to the President in those terms. Expectations, fear. Among the leaders, all hope, Mr. President, has been placed by the Polish nations in the hands of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. You said this. Oh, yes. In proper words. Oh yes, in the same words. Mm-hmm. Not the president, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Is it? I describe him, thinking how much time I have. He sits. Then I come to the Jewish problem. Mr. President, I have also a mission. Mr. President, before having left Poland, I was charged with this mission by the most important Jewish leaders. They organized for me two visits in the ghetto. I saw extermination camp. The name is Belzec, B-E-L-Z-E-C. Mr. President, The situation is horrible. The point is, without the outside help, the Jews will perish in Poland. He enters. I remember every second of this conversation. The allied nations... What did he answer specifically Nothing. He enters the picture now. Nothing. This was the end of your report? Yes. Nothing. It came at the end, uh, the Jewish... uh, I never had a chance. So now his answer. The allied nations are going to win this war. No more wars justice will be done your country will be alive again more prosperous than before criminals will be punished the united states will not abandon your country as a matter of fact now he
1: says he wasn't this is a polish guy Poland, Poland who escapes from Poland to warn the world that they're killing the Jews, the we Germans are, and it doesn't get any traction. Right? Get East any traction. Prussia. Famous, I think he went to Felix Frank. The, the or a part the in no good. of East Prussia. He went to Felix Frankfurt, that's the top. No top. more said, corridor. You know what's going on? And Frankfurt said, I'm not Macabro. He, he said, man. I don't say you're a Mr. liar. Mr.
3: Ambassador, said, what do I you think about?
1: No, it's it's too much of a shock Mr. to me. Ambassador great. So people are dying, but you can't do it. <laughs> a shock <laughs> no. Imagine a doctor <laughs> selling it. I can't handle that. The sight of her. blood bothers me. OK? Uh, not very great. The best of the Poles are, in theory, in favor of helping the Jews, especially if they fight the Germans. Poland, they even set up a Polish, your your not, Polish leader. to help the Jews, although I don't think they did this that much. So will the dirty fact is, no matter what kind of poll you are, by nineteen thirty forty three academic Hitler has created in in a fact. The
3: president of the United All the country, you just
1: have empty States. houses and empty he businesses does ask me Empty places. I mean it's just like I said before, just government. use your a, a, a local model to understand the, the shock of it. Do you know what questions The Poles realize do the I he's understand going, that he's not to the, the, the Poles, no matter what the like to man. do, that's not gonna happen.
3: That before the so, war
1: Kind of Poland, Poland
3: was essentially
1: I didn't do an it. agricultural. You know, uh, and I think it's terrible, and all the rest. Read. Yes, Mr. But I will, yes. I will take over that shop. Won't he I? Was. I will take over the shop. Poles won't necessarily say well, it publicly. now
3: what we understand in the he Russian clean campaign, up their country,
1: and he the, did in the Germans best way the had
3: to use a tremendous, tremendous know, amount of. They
1: did guards in the concentration shooting squad. Did they, they take those type? courses yeah, lot of from Poland. Ukrainians, Poland. Ukrainians Because. With your, your agricultural economy, camp kind of
3: you need I don't horses. know about
1: polls. Am I right?
3: Mr. President?
1: Right? If so, yes. Did it.
3: He asked me other questions.
1: I had no really chance okay.
3: except mine. Yeah, initial okay. state saying, but
1: it's not your Polish to tell Polish you, Mr. System. President, listen
3: to me, well uh, you don't speak I, no, to I, no, the I, I, President of the United Why am I
1: telling <laughs> you this? It's not a no matter of whitewashing
3: Jewish the polls. Is, right, no Jewish problem was mentioned until it, the end of the
1: say, conversation lasted reason, one all the hour. William we're when uh, killing the Jews and we're patrolling the, United, the concentration and camps similar. and we're helping Hitler all the rest of the polls. So we didn't do it.
3: Did he ask specific questions? The Ukrainians
1: did it. No one. The Ukrainians did it. We didn't do it.
3: Not a single Not a
1: how if we take I it to said, extreme the poll say we were all Sadegum, that's all right.
3: On my initiative as an but opening statement, they didn't do what they when he asked me. Um I it's interesting anyway. On
1: you the other hand, Hitler does carry out many atrocities against the Poles. Many.
3: But it was never Bring a question attention. of genocide. And you get it. So again, because he said before the history
1: unfolded in such a way that it didn't happen that way.
3: Oh, how do you explain yeah,
1: I really need more time so I have to steal it on Wednesday night, but in, uh, I would just conclude by saying, in my opinion, to, this, is, this, is what, this is from my kishkus. Um, I would say two-thirds of the, of the Poles acted bad towards the Jews because it was very easy, and about one-third acted good. There are many cases of Poles hiding Jews, but in every case, the neighbors want to kill them for hiding Jews. So what do you say? <laughs> it's good or bad? I think some of you know this. There are people who are afraid, maybe, maybe today's different, there are people for decades who say like this, don't put my name in for Israel, for the Yad Vashem. If my neighbors find out that during the war I hit somebody, they'll kill me now. Imagine that. You see? So what do you say? They're all bad. Well, there's this good one. But then there's the neighbors that are bad. So you end up with all that kind of business. Um, but don't worry. Uh, there is divine justice. And as soon as the Jews are killed out, Poland's sorrows begin big time. But that will do next week, or I should say Wednesday night. The rest of this uh, complicated tale. Good evening.
0: For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbydovecats.com.